Hello there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your film discussions. Uh, so this week, uh, there's two things that, that have come to mind, to be honest. There's uh, one I watched uh, Frozen 1 and 2 over the weekend with my family. I'd already seen Frozen 1 and it's good. Frozen 2 I also enjoyed, though I think it kind of lacked a bit of, I don't know. I liked I liked the ideas and I liked everything it did, but it was very predictable. The first film subverted stuff a lot in it kind of like went in ways that you didn't expect and I liked it, but then the second one was very predictable and yeah, I don't know. I I mean I like the idea of all the spirits and things, um but yeah, it was just Well so why are so there's four spirits, right? Well, I guess it's technically five, but there's four spirits. Earth, wind, air. What is it? Earth, wind, water, and fire. Fire is a lizard. Water is like a watery horse thing. We didn't even see earth. And then air is just a little gust of wind with some leaves in it. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, but anyway, um, I did like it. Um, I liked it quite a lot. I mean, the songs for me have never been the... I've never liked. This is probably controversial, but I've never been a huge fan of the fro of songs from Frozen, um, or Frozen Two, I guess. But um, I prefer the music in Moana, really. But um, yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I still, I did like it, um, and I definitely recommend seeing it. But I think, and I think after kind of the big hype and everything of Frozen, I think it's hard to then live up to that. I guess. I mean, it's made it made more money. So I think that's a thing, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, they are what they are. I mean, they're not for me, really. So that I'm just, just babbling. It's just thoughts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I liked them, but I, I think the second one, they they expanded the world well, but they lost the storytelling aspect of the first film that I think made it so made it quite good and refreshing. Um, yeah, the other thing that I want to talk about was uh, Lee Wan L, who directed The Invisible Man that came out earlier this year, which is very good. Go see it if you haven't. I mean, I say go see it. We can now. Some cinemas are open. Uh, not in the UK, though. They keep pushing it back. But um, he is directing The Wolfman. Um, so that's another Universal Monster film. And I like that idea because he did a very good job with The Invisible Man. I like all that stuff. I want to see more of it. The Mummy with Tom Cruise was meh. And other things were meh. But this could be good because uh, Invisible Man was good. Uh, Ryan Gosling is set to be the Wolfman, which I think... Uh, forget sexy vampires, it's all about sexy werewolves. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Is there a, a pun for Ryan Gosling? Ryan, uh, Ryan Gersling? I don't know. I don't know. Um, um, Ryan Gosfang? No, that'd be the vampires. Anyway, uh, that's the thing that's happening, and I am into it. Um, I want. I like the idea of this shared monster universe because I like. I like all of those monster films, and I like the idea of putting them in together. And the Invisible Man was different. Uh, from kind of the Invisible Man that you probably would know. It's very, uh, I don't know, it's just different. It's a modern take on it. And I think it'll be good to see a modern take on the Wolfman thing. And I think if you put them together, then that'd be great. I don't know. Um, but equally, you could not put them together and you could do something separate. I don't know. They, that also works. Just just give me a good film. Just give me good stuff. <laughs> Let's move on with the first, uh, well, I guess this is the second part of the show. Um, this is Alpha Set. Um, this is where I look at three films that I have not seen ever before in my life. Uh, they all begin with one letter of the alphabet and uh, just give a little talk about them. There's no spoilers in here. Um, I try and keep these spoiler free because I feel like a review uh, for the most part is to see whether you want to see a film. But or sometimes it's... Because you've got your own opinions. You've seen the film, you've got your opinions. So, I don't know. But if you've not seen the film, then uh, this is what I think. And you can take it or leave it or do what you want with it. Put it in the bin, you could put it on a pedestal. You could 
I don't know. I was going to say put it in your trousers. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. Anyway, we're going on to I. I'm, uh, what is going on today? I'm. Uh, we're on I. I. Uh, we're getting through the alphabet. We're we're part way there. We're some way into it. Um, if you follow me on Twitter at All Out Walker, then you will have seen. Uh, the three films that have been covering this week, and you may even have watched them along with me. Um, but if not, it's a surprise for you. Um, I can tell you that it's not Inglorious Bastards, because I've seen that already. Um, I can tell you that it is not Inside Man. I have also seen that. Though I feel like I saw that, like, part of it ages ago, and then I was like, do I remember this film? I don't think so. It's, it's supposed to be good, isn't it? It's Smile My Street. Anyway, uh, and it's not Inside Out. Because I've seen that. Uh, I watched the end of it with my family uh, recently. But, uh, I came in and Bing Bong died. Oh, anyway, poor Bing Bong. Anyway, first film that I did watch this week that I hadn't seen before uh, was In Time. Uh, so in a world where time is money, uh, poor man Justin Timberlake ends up with a lot of time on his hands and decides to experience and shake up the lifestyle of the rich and or famous. I don't think there's much fame in this world though. Um, this came out in 2011. It had a budget of $40 million and it made $174 million. So it did pretty well. Even with the uh, marketing budget. Because you obviously double the budget for uh, marketing purposes. Um, let's see what people thought of it. It got a 6.7 on IMDb. It's got 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, with differing views, I give it a 6 out of 10. Mainly because I really like the idea in the world. But, the execution was a bit off. Um, so, the premise is outstanding. Uh, it makes for a fascinating world. There's different time zones based on your wealth. When your clock hits zero, you're dead, you're done. Uh... Your time is up. People die all the time in the poor areas because of that. Um, so your clock starts at 25 and then you stop aging and then you get a year to live and then you work and then you get more money, you get more time. Um, because you're at 25, everyone looks 25, which means that Olivia Wilde is Justin Timberlake's mum, which is fun. Um, also, uh, that sort of like thing of everyone looks 25 is referenced numerous times as a line later on you're like oh is she my mother is she my wife is she my daughter who knows sort of thing um the cops uh in this are called timekeepers uh the main one is played very well by killian murphy from peaky blinders and other stuff uh it also anthropoid a film that i covered uh, a number of weeks ago um the timekeepers all have matt black 1970s dodge charges which are awesome um i think they're my new favorite car from a film uh hands down they are I, I love cars of this era like muscle cars and they look phenomenal um all the production design in this is is really good uh and all the cars that they have not just the cop cars but all the other ones are kind of classics but slightly modernized to fit fit with the aesthetic um and that's apparently something that the director andrew nicol does quite often in his films he kind of brings vintage styles into like a futuristic world especially with cars um but yeah but i'd say the problem with this film is that there's too many ideas in it there's like three aspects of the film there's like a socio-political one with the rich living forever and the poor barely living um but then there's also like a character study of a poor man trapped in like the poor world and a rich girl trapped in like a rich world and the problems of that but then there's also like a man trying to escape from the timekeepers for a murder that he may or may not have committed. I think there's just quite a lot of stuff to go with. And you've got, what, like 100 minutes? I think maybe this is a result of the director being the sole writer of the film because he's written and directed it. And there doesn't seem to be any other writers involved. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's all interesting. But I think... Of those three things, I think the thing that you can get rid of straight away is the socio-political stuff because it's already there. Like the nature of the world is that like the rich people have got loads of time and stuff, and then the poor people have got and people mention certain things and kind of dialogue. And I don't think you need like this big like big it like like they do cover it quite a lot, especially towards the end. Like you get a bit more of it, 
and it, but I think it's just too ham-fisted and too heavy-handed. Like, you, like it, some of it works all right, but like I say, like the stuff that's in the dialogue and it's just sort of like just part of the world. But that you don't need anything else, especially because you've got all this other stuff to cover. It's like the dichotomy of the pair of the like Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried's character. I don't know how you say that. Uh, like him being from this poor world to her being from this rich world and kind of them both wanting to escape their worlds for different reasons um, and kind of experience different things. I think if the political stuff was taken out, there'd be more time for that and like you get some more character development and stuff because there's a bit of like, especially with her, it's it's not like jarring or anything, but it's like everything's quite a bit, quite rushed and quite quick in terms of kind of the path that she sort of goes on. Um, I also think like if you'd have made if you'd have gone like with more of her at the beginning, or not well no if just if you go with more of that sort of stuff anyway, then like there's a bit at the beginning there is a bit with the a guy that's from the rich world and he's having sort of similar thoughts to what she's having i mean it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it but he he's sort of like wanting to get out of this rich world for for the same sort of reasons that she's thinking and like it's it's an interesting way to to delve into it and i think if you'd have delved into it more with her character then you can kind of it, it's almost like teased earlier on with this with this guy, uh, the star that dies. Um, there's also a gang in the poor area that keeps showing up, which I just don't think is needed. Like, there's a great scene later on uh, where they do like a little like time fight where they're like trying to see who can get each other's time. I don't know, um, but uh, but I don't think you need to have them in there because, like I say, you've got like these different bits anyway. But it's all just unnecessary. And the leader in it, he's not great in it. Um, and he's not very, he's not particularly charismatic. I mean, he gives it a go, but he's not like particularly menacing or anything. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, some fun facts about this. Olivia Wilde is actually, despite playing his mum, she's actually three years younger than Justin Timberlake, which is, which is fun. Um, also, many of the characters share names with famous watchmakers. Uh, including Sylvia Weiss, which is Amanda Seyfried's character. Um, that's the same name as Albert Weiss, apparently. Um, also, the format of the body clock. So when you look at your ROM, you've got like, you've got years, weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds. Months aren't included because they're not consistent. Like they're not consistently the same in terms of like this. You get a different number of days, but there's always fifty-two weeks. So there's always like. But you've always got like 60 seconds in a minute, 68 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year. So they're all consistent. So that's why that's like that, which I thought was interesting. But altogether, I think this is a great concept for a film and the design of the world is fantastic. But I think maybe you just needed a second person just to focus it down, just to kind of look through it and go, you can maybe take this stuff out, focus more on that. Like you're trying to do too much maybe, but no, I, I did like it quite a lot and I liked uh, the action and it was good. Um, but yeah, I think it just suffered from trying to do too much basically. Um, but yeah, film number two is Insomnia. Um, so Al Pacino plays a cop that travels to a small town in Alaska to help investigate the murder of a teenage girl. Um, this came out in 2002. Um, $46 million budget made $114 million. So uh, it's, made a, it's made a little bit of money. Um, but it, it's uh, received quite well. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb and 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a 7 out of 10 from me. Not that I really care that much, but I think it's got amazing performances in a pretty interesting film. So this is a, well, this is a remake of a Norwegian, I was going to say apparently, I don't know why I'm saying apparently. This is a remake of a Norwegian film. Um, and I think the closest thing that they that we've kind of got in like a English speaking sense to Norway is 
Alaska, which so I think the Alaskan setting is a good idea. It creates a great atmosphere. Um, the it's set in summer, so and where they are in Alaska mean uh, means that there's no darkness. So Al Pacino is getting no sleep, and that's where you get insomnia from. Um, also, because it, a lot of it kind of takes place at night, even though it's bright, uh, it's like there's a lot of empty streets and stuff. It's also very remote where they are. It's just this small town in the middle of nowhere. There's loads of misty mountains and exit all this stuff. And I think it's just, yeah, I think it, it really makes me like a, this kind of off, off-putting setting a little bit. Like it's a beautiful setting, but it's just this, it's a bit unsettling a little bit. Um, Al Pacino is brilliant in this. He, you really see the toll that the lack of sleep has on him. Like you start like uh, like later on in the film, he starts to see some hallucinations, but I think like this situation anyway, regardless of like just what you going on with your sleep, it's just a really difficult time and a really difficult situation. Like you're having to go somewhere else to solve a murder of a teenage girl. Like you don't want to be doing that. But I think you, like throughout this film, you see that he's very capable, and you can tell that he's being a police officer for a long time and he knows what he's doing you can tell that both kind of around the police station how he is and the plans that he comes up with and kind of how he's interacting with the other officers but you see that out and about like what he's doing and kind of just the interactions with other people like when he's interviewing people or interrogating them or whatever you can just see that he really experienced this um, Hilary Swank is also in this. She's great as this younger, inexperienced detective. She kind of fangirls a little bit over Pacino. Um, and she kind of learns a bunch of lessons from him. Um, and like, like, and she's kind of studied him at uni- at the Academy and stuff. And that kind of comes back later in the film. Uh, Robin Williams is in this, uh, in a rare sort of non-comedic role, a rare dramatic role, I guess. Um, but he doesn't appear until quite late in the film. I think I saw a bunch of stuff saying like it wasn't until like an hour in that you see him, which like and he's one of like the top build people. Um, it's really different to his usual performances. Like you would know Robin Williams for kind of his comedic stuff and like his kind of zany craziness. Um, but he's very restrained in this. He's, and he's manipulative, but he, there's like a kind of everyman ishness to him as well and like he's he's trying to relate to Pacino throughout the film and like I don't know it's very strange like you've got this like he seems kind of mild-mannered and then like but he's trying to manipulate everything and it's it's he does a great job in the role um I think it's an interesting concept the film because it this seems like a, a pretty straightforward case apart from there's one event that kind of makes it complicated and that's kind of what makes the film in a way i think it's an event that happens in involving al pacino and i think you i think that it would have been nice to see because if he'd have been because there's a big question mark at the end basically of whether it was an accident whether it was an accident or whether it was intentional but you don't see that much for a bit and like i don't know it's very i think maybe you should have delved into that a bit more um like kind of earlier in the film but i don't know um like i say it's it is questioned later on like when pacino becomes a bit more kind of delirious he's sort of like second guessing himself or, or whatever and getting confused or whatever but like you don't but before that it doesn't you, they don't really explore it too much and i feel that's a bit of a shame um, I think there's a good backstory to his character because um, he's from LA um, and it kind of adds to the overall story and kind of reasons for various things why everything's happening. Um, there's like a stuff to do with IA back back in LA and it kind of, it makes the police feel more fleshed out because it makes them feel like they're not just like blank slate characters that have come from LA and this is like, fresh and like like they're 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 bringing stuff with them like they've got things that are going on like they're already established and fleshed out characters which i think is really good um 
The other police in the film, the Alaskan police, are very good. There's like the uh, they've got this fantastic balance of kind of being competent but also inexperienced. Like there's a megaphone mishap at one point in the film that's quite uh, it's quite crucial um, to the film, but you can tell that overall they are very competent and like you see a number of times kind of with in and around the station that they are that yeah they're this small town but they are good at their jobs um there's also uh, a couple of scenes where there's some teenagers in it and i think that they they're, they're like friends of, of the victim of the teenage girl and i think that they're they really, they do a good job like there's some secret keeping that they have to do there's an emotional outburst there's also like lack of emotions at times and i think all of that worked really well. I think they they pulled it off really well and really good. And I think it's it's I think the way that it's worked into the story is good as well. Um, kind of the way that things are revealed and and things like that. Um, there's not a lot of action in this for a, like a police kind of thing. Uh, it's very much more like a like a psychological uh kind of thrillery detective thing. Um. There are a couple of chase scenes in it, though. Um, I think they're both really well done. There's a, the first one is shot well. It kind of promotes that disorientation and stuff. There's it's really misty um, and stuff, and like yeah, and that's kind of when the event happens. And I think it's it's really well shot and well done. But it, I think you do because of the way it is shot, you do question uh, sort of. Like that thing that I was talking about of whether the the event was intentional or accidental, you do question that, like, because because of the way it was shot, you're definitely like, oh yeah, it's like an accident. But then, like, it's almost like they didn't. I think it could have been shot a bit more ambiguously, possibly, um, and maybe it may be worth watching that scene again. I don't know, uh, but uh, the second one, uh, the second chase scene features some log running, which which I like. I knew that this was a film that had log running in it. I don't know why. I'd not really heard much about it, but I knew that there was a scene where they did this running on some logs. Um, and either way, it worked well. It showed how like a local was probably used to to the logs and stuff, whereas an outsider wasn't. Um, and I thought it was it was good, and it was an it was a it was kind of an action packed sort of chase scene. It was it was kind of weird seeing like two older guys like Al Pacino and Robin Williams running doing a running chasing but it was good and I enjoyed it and it was uh they they both seemed spry I mean obviously it's probably stunt act just for some of it but it was good I enjoyed it um but for some fun facts about this um I haven't mentioned it so far but this is in fact a Christopher Nolan film um of Inception and Interstellar and the Dark Knight trilogy fame um, and this was actually his first film in full colour, so the films that he'd done before this were following, which he did as a student, which was black and white, uh, and then he did Memento, which was had some colour in it, but some black and white, depending, because that was the one where they had flashback scenes and stuff, but yeah, this is the first one that's fully in colour, it's also the first one that he uh, partnered with Warner Brothers on, um, all his films after that have been with Warner Brothers, so obviously going well. Um, it's the last film that he did that was R-rated. Um, this is an interesting thing that I found. That he it, this is the only film that he's done where he doesn't have a writing credit. Uh, apparently, he did do a pass over of like the screenplay or something, but he doesn't actually have a writing credit, which is interesting. Um, and it's the only film post two thousand, so that's Memento onwards that hasn't been nominated for an award, which I thought is very interesting. Um, Obviously shows what a great and talented filmmaker he is if every single film after this point is won awards and we're now what, like, I don't know, what we're like nearly 20 years off that, so I think that's that's phenomenal. Um, so Al Pacino plays a, his, his detective is uh, called Will Dormer, uh, and the word dormir uh, means to sleep in French, uh, Spanish and Portuguese, which I thought was interesting. Obviously it ties into the, uh, to the insomnia, uh, thing. Um, also, uh, while they were shooting, there was actually an avalanche near the set of the film. Uh, the director of photography, Wally Pfister, he actually filmed it and put it on the Blu-ray as an extra. I don't know why we're not on the DVD, but it's on the Blu-ray as an extra. If you want to see 
an avalanche. I don't know if it's incorporated into the film in any sort of way or whether it's just like, here's an avalanche. But um, yeah, it happened. Um, but yeah, I think it was overall a pretty good film. Um, there are some outstanding performances in this film and I think that that's possibly the thing that makes it. I think it's, like I say, it's an interesting story. It's an interesting concept. And I think, but I think the performances are kind of the highlight of the, the film, in my opinion. Um, film number three is Ingrid Goes West. So we're doing uh, we're doing an in trilogy, in in time, in somnia, and Ingrid Goes West. Um, so this is about Alona, whose mum has just died, uh, and she moves to LA to follow a social media influencer and try to befriend her. Uh, now the way that I've written that makes it sound kind of kind of innocent but um you'll see that it, it's kind of not she's a bit unhinged anyway uh, it came out in 2017 um i don't really know the budget i looked everywhere to try and find them find the budget um but no one seemed to know they just were like it's a it was a low budget like you can tell it's low budget because there's not really any action to it but uh yeah i mean it's low it's a low budget it's probably like a grant a million or something i don't know um but they made three million, so regardless of how low the budget is, it's probably not done great. Um, though I think it was a limited release at the cinema, so that's probably why. Um, it got a six point six on IMDb, eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I uh, went down the middle. I give it a seven out of ten. Um, I think it's a good film, but I think again the, the perform the lead performance is what makes this film. I think. Um, the lead performance by Aubrey Plaza is fantastic. She's got this great combination of creepiness and desperation. Um, she, she kind of doesn't know how to be herself, so she copies other successful people like that she sees on online and stuff. And like she, she's a she's kind of a sympathetic character, but she's also a bit detestable um, because of kind of her habits and things. Um, but like the opening of the film is is great. It really shows you what like the film's about you see the aftermath of like another kind of one of these incidents of like stalking or whatever that, that happens and she goes into rehab after that it looks like she was recovered but obviously not um yeah there's a number of shots in this film where they they're like social media posts uh, are on the screen and and it's just got a voiceover of like the caption and i think it's really good because it really sort of sells kind of how ridiculous some of it is like if you read like when you read these stuff this stuff out loud you're like oh, it's a bit a bit weird a bit cringy but i think it really works in this film and i think it really kind of yeah it's good like little breathers or little kind of like interludes between everything that's happening um yeah there's a really cool and really good i say cool there's a really good normal character in dan her landlord slash friend um that she finds in LA, uh, played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube's son. Um, he's got some really good quirks about him. He's a massive Batman fan, as am I. Um, but I think he takes it to a bit to the extreme. But he's uh, he's really good, and he feels like a normal character. I've put that in the kind of quotation marks, in kind of the world of this social media and everything, it, like, that they're all immersed in. I think it's he's one of the only kind of normal-ish characters that you feel like you can actually relate to. Um, there's a bunch in terms of like the main kind of character that Aubrey Plaza's character is trying to to kind of become and uh, befriend. Um, that's she's called Taylor Sloan. She's played by Elizabeth Olsen, and there is a bunch of times where she's trying to impress somebody, like a designer or someone, and or she has to retake her photos like a number of times from like loads of different angles. And it kind of shows how much of like a facade that they're almost putting on in a way. And I think it would have been nice to see a bit more of that. Like there is sort of a bit of an argument later on in the film where Aubrey Plaza says something of, along those lines, but you don't, but I think it's kind of brushed off quite quickly. And I think it would be worth exploring that a bit more. Um, there's another normal character. Um, I've, well, I feel more normal, I feel. Uh, that is Taylor's husband that is played by Wyatt Russell. He seems a bit bitter about it all. He kind of wants stuff to be kind of a bit more normal and kind of how it was when they first were in LA um, before kind of all this social media stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the film is a, overall kind of does a really good job at kind of being in the moment and kind of 
immersing you in that sort of moment and in kind of the feeling of it. Like you feel happy when it's all going well and, and they're, they're BFFs, but like you then feel weird and kind of a bit gross when it's not going so well and it's more like WTF. Um, but yeah, the ending, uh, the ending's a real gut punch. Uh, it's brilliantly played by Obi Plaza uh, and kind of a, a harrowing situation that's kind of weird to watch. Like, you know that she can sort herself out but and she can like fix the situation, but she's kind of too far gone to do that. It does end on like happy, you know, and I think it's a nice way to end it, especially as you like if you'd have ended it a few minutes earlier, that also would have been fine, but it would have been kind of bleak. Um, but I think the way that they end it is kind of hopeful and it kind of I don't know. It's I don't know whether it's how I think I think the overall message of the film, like it does kind of hit the nail on the head of kind of like how social media can be a kind of a toxic environment and bring out sort of the worst in people. And it's kind of, it can cause sort of mental problems and kind of societal issues. But um, I think it's, it was nice to kind of have that sort of happier ending just because, um, yeah, it's, she is sort of this sort of sympathetic character that you kind of do, you are sort of rooting for a little bit in the end. Um, but yeah, um, Fun facts about this, um, the production was actually delayed uh, because of a weird, weird issue. So the director, Matt Spicer, he yelled cut and then he did just that um, because he walked through a glass door uh, and cut his arms. Gaffers had to remove glass shards with gaffer tape, funnily enough, uh, which was interesting. Also, another interesting fact, Wyatt Russell, uh, the husband... He doesn't have social media, um, like his and his character in the film also doesn't have social media. So uh, that's, I thought that was interesting. Uh, and also, Bill Murray gets a special thanks, though he has he was in no way a part of this film, but um, he did loan Aubrey Plaza his jumper when he she was ill or sweater uh, when she was ill during the production of another film that they were doing, and she then wears that jumper in a couple of scenes uh, of the film. So. He doesn't make an appearance, but his jumper does, and he gets a special thanks for that. Um, but yeah, like I say, the, it's a pretty good film, and it showcases the damage and impact of social media, and it's got a fantastic lead performance. And I think it's it's an important film for people to see and to watch. Um, but yeah, I think it's... But overall, I think that the thing that makes it is Aubrey Plaza, and I think she did a great job. So it's time for a film that wasn't. Uh, so this is a film that uh, went into production or some point or some sort of development, but ultimately it's been cancelled uh, for one reason or another. Um, this week we're talking about Blood Meridian. Um, so you might not have heard of this. This is a... It was originally a novel by Cormac McCarthy. I say originally a novel. It is only a novel uh, at this point. By Cormac McCarthy, uh, published in 1987. Um, you might recognise the name Cormac McCarthy. He also wrote the novels that turn into the films uh, No Country for Old Men, which actually won some sort of Oscar, and The Road. Um, it's said that Blood Meridian is an anti-Western, and it's also been it's also been given the label unfilmable. Um, but... In the 90s, uh, Tommy Lee Jones was interested in it. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones of Men in Black fame and um, also, funnily enough, uh, of No Country for Old Men fame. Uh, so we did end up being in a Cormac McCarthy film. Um, so he took a screenplay that was written by a guy named Steve Tessich. Um, Steve Tessich wrote this screenplay in 1995. Tommy Lee Jones then reworked it. Um, he was going to direct it and he was going to star in it, but it was deemed to be too violent. Um, now, you'll find that this is a common issue that that comes up, but I hear you wonder, what is this story about? What is this book that is too violent to be a film? Well, it follows a teenager that is known only as The Kid as he joins the Glanton Gang in the 
1850, uh, the Glanton Gang were actually a gang that existed in real life, apparently. Um, and they're hired to fight off uh, Apaches and Comanches in their area, but they enjoy it too much and they start scalping anyone and everyone, including the people they were hired to protect. Um, it's said to not have a lot of plot. The violence is basically the plot. It's kind of relentless brutality at one place and then they move on and do it all again somewhere else. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones said, I was going to make it just like the book, but studios get a little scared when a black guy cuts off a white guy's head and the shooting jets of blood douse a fire. Uh, like I say, he's, he didn't get to be to make this, but he did go on to be in No Country for Old Men. Um, so we skip to 2004. Ridley Scott had just wrapped up Kingdom of Heaven. Um, that film was written by William Monaghan. Um, and Ridley Scott decided that he was going to have a crack at Blood Meridian and he was going to get William Monaghan back again on writing duties. Monaghan, uh, he has, as well as doing Kingdom of Heaven, he also went on to win an Oscar for writing The Departed for Martin Scorsese. So this guy, pretty good. Um, but again, the violence was too much. Uh, Scott said that studios didn't want to make it. The book is so uncompromising, which is what's great about it. It would have been rated double X. Now, so he's referring to the film there, but double X isn't a rating that I'm aware of. So I looked it up. An X rating basically was the rating was basically NC-17 before NC-17 was a rating. Um, So I guess double X was like twice as bad as an NC-17. But I also found that double X is a porn rating that means simulation, but not hardcore. So it's, and so I don't know, but apparently there is a load of sexual violence in the book. So I guess both of those definitions work. Uh, but yeah, I, you can tell that it wasn't going to be a nice film. Um, but Ridley Scott did actually end up making a film based on McCarthy's work. Uh, McCarthy actually wrote the screenplay for The Counselor. Uh, this is his first ever screenplay. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Counselor. I haven't, but it's... I I don't know if I want to because it's no good. Uh, it's It's got a great cast. It's got Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt, but apparently it's just no good. Um, other directors that were mentioned for Blood Meridian included Martin Scorsese, but I don't think there's any real talk of him. I think it was just floated around. But also John Hillcoat... Uh, who actually directed The Road, which so so he'd got pedigree with McCarthy, Cormac McCarthy novels and adapting those. But we'll come back to John Hillcoat later on. Um, so another problem with the book, apparently, is a character called The Judge. Um, so he's this kind of otherworldly character that's described as the essence of evil and he's likened to Satan. Uh he travels with the gang, but is a law unto his own. And he has these weird monologues that kind of talk about war and nature and philosophy and stuff. He's described as being albino. Is it albino or albino? I say albino. Uh, and hairless with super strength and intelligence and preternatural abilities. I looked up preternatural. It's not supernatural, so there's no magic or anything. But uh, it's just extraordinary real world abilities, apparently. Um, so, uh, the question is, how do you make that? Um, because basically you're trying to make the equivalent of Satan, but not have him be played like Satan. Um, Tommy Lee Jones thought that you, and when he was writing it, he thought you would cast Jack Nicholson in the role. It's a pretty good shout. James Franco thought that you get Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now and you put Jack Nicholson smile on him. It's a weird Frankenstein of a creation. Obviously, it's not going to happen. But James Franco, he actually wanted to make Blood Meridian. He actually was in the running to make it. And he probably got the furthest of all of them to making it. Um, so he, James Franco was a big fan of Cormac McCarthy. He actually made uh, City of God in 2013 based on McCarthy's book. Um, so... Uh, so yeah, I mean he he likes it and he's got pedigree. He apparently City of God wasn't very good, so 
probably less pedigree than uh, the other guy. What's his name? John Hillcoat. But um, he's got some background. But the problem is that he then he now has to persuade the producer with the right to make, let him make the film. So this producer is named Scott Rudin, and he he's got a back massive back catalogues of films that include No Country for Old Men, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zoolander, Truman Show, and many many more. But he is also the first producer to win an EGOT. For those that don't know, an EGOT is the it's like the getting the ultimate awards in all of the different kind of categories. So he's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Um, and he's the first producer to have done that. I don't know if there's any others since, but he is the first one to do it in that in 2012. Um, but James Franco has got to press this guy. He's got to go, yeah, you can make it. So in 2013-ish, James Franco made a 30-minute test reel with his old teacher, Scott Glenn, and his brother, Dave Franco, as well as a couple of other people. Um, we don't really hear much about it uh, since then, but it must have gone okay because three years later, everything looks good. Um, Blood Merid- James Franco's Blood Meridian is set to go to Cannes Film Festival. Apparently, the international and domestic sales were apparently already sorted. Uh, Russell Crowe, Ty Sheridan and Vincent D'Onofrio were on board to star along with James Franco. Everything is looking good. But this was all so this was all widely reported. Uh, but on the same day, reports went round again saying it had been cancelled on the exact same day. Apparently, the rights for the book weren't sorted. So he'd obviously gone through he'd done like three years worth of work or something. But he hadn't actually got the rights to the book, which I think is strange. Like, maybe he would have sorted that out first. Apparently, Scott Rudin wasn't happy um, about all the kind of reports and stuff coming around. Probably quite rightly, because, like, he, like, like we've said, like, there isn't a lot of, like, stuff about kind of what happened immediately after the test footage. And he's obviously not immediately gone, yeah, let's do it. Here's the rights. And so the fact that James Franco's gone out and done all this stuff, maybe he's sort of in the wrong. But yeah, Scott Rudin wasn't happy. There was a falling out between him and Franco. And that fell by the wayside. Uh, Franco actually talks about his background in kind of McCarthy and the Blood Meridian film that he tried to make in an article for Vice. Um, So you can look that up. But he doesn't actually talk about the falling out. He just basically goes... Yeah, this guy won't let me make it for various reasons, and then that's it. So, which is a bit of a shame. But he did rewrite a portion of the book and put it in the article. So, I mean, there's that, I guess. Um, But lastly, uh, coming back to John Hillcoat, he also came out in 2016 and said, the one that I've always wanted, and I have Scott Rudin in my way blocking it, is Blood Meridian which Cormac McCarthy is offered to adapt into a screenplay. He said, We both discussed it and feel like we've cracked out to make it into a film. So if anyone knows how to move Scott Rudin, we even have money to finance it, but Rudin clearly has other ideas. I mean, this book sounds like a tough nut to crack. It sounds like it's going to be a tricky film to make. If anyone can make it, though, I guess McCarthy, the original writer of the book, and Hilco have the best chance. Though McCarthy's screenplay history isn't great he made in that one screenplay and it tanked so but hilco has made a mccarthy novel work on screen but uh, i was thinking about it when i was reading all this information the only film that i can really think that's kind of like it is bone tomahawk so i covered that in set b a number of weeks ago uh that's kind of a western that's got some brutal violence in it but that had more plot and less violence in it from the from the sounds of everything that I've heard, and that had a small budget of one point eight million dollars, and it still lost a lot of money. Like it only made like three hundred grand. So I think even if you did make it now, and you got the money for it and stuff, which they said that they had, which uh, McCarthy and Hillco said that they had, like you're probably not going to get anyone to see it. Like not in this day and age. Like 
And I think the reason why Scott Rudin isn't handing over the rights and stuff is because he knows this. And like, because this guy is a really good producer. He's produced a lot of really good stuff. And he's got an ego. So like this guy, you don't get an ego for doing nothing. Like this guy knows his stuff. So I think if he is saying no to it, it's probably for the best. Um, like I'm not generally on the side of producers and stuff, but I think this guy's probably got it right. Um, I don't think you, I don't think it would do particularly well because it's it'd be a hard film to market. Um, because you're only going to get a limited, uh, kind of audience anyway because of the rating that you're going to have in the film. And I just don't think people are wanting that sort of film right now. Um, but we move on to the final section of the show. And that is Quick Fic. Uh, for those that aren't aware, Quick Fic is where I take one of 20 film characters, I put them in one of 20 franchises, and try to make a prequel, sequel, spin-off, or a reboot, or a pequel. Uh, that's, the, that's the one that goes in the toilet. But... First things first, we need to t- uh, we need to find out what kind of film we're making. So, uh, I normally give examples of what we've made in the past. Uh, last week we did Mad Max in Pirates of the Caribbean. We've done Buzz Lightyear in to- in uh, in Toy Story. Buzz Lightyear in uh, Indiana Jones. We've done Predator in Star Trek. Stuff like that. Um, but let's find out we, what kind of film we're making this time. We're making a spin-off. What are we making a spin-off of? We're going to make a spin-off. Of Terminator, we're going to make a spin-off of Terminator. This is uh, this is going. In, this is interesting already. We'll make it a spin-off of Terminator with Mike Wazowski. Yes, yes, this is weird, and I don't know what to do. Uh, well, first things first. How do you spin it off from Terminator? Um, so it's taking place in the in the Terminator universe. Do you think Skynet have decided to no longer that robots don't work and they made monsters? I think that might be a thing. They've made monsters, and Mike Wazowski is is a prototype. He's a test. Um, I don't know. How do you how do, how do you do this? Um, oh. Mike Wazowski is a test. A test experiment prototype they send him back in the past um but he's got nothing i don't know what you're trying to i don't know what they're trying to do maybe he's an escape test object and he just i don't know i was gonna say by accident he gets something i don't know like he gains some sort of sentience and then he becomes Mike. that's how he becomes mike wazowski and then it's just mike wazowski in the terminator world just bumbling around being like, ah, um, I think that's, I don't know, yeah, I mean, that's all I can really think of, um, that this guy now have kind of made him, because, I don't know, yeah, that's the only real thing that I can think of, um, that, that you can sort of work in, um, yeah, I think it'd be a fun idea, I think it would definitely be, more silly or you make the only the other option is that you make a terminator like mike wazowski like like you make him look like mike wazowski but i don't think that works i think you make just make a make a prototype maybe it's like before they made robots they made monsters um i don't know why that will be easier to make than the robot but they've tried to make a i don't know maybe they've tried you can't really program a, a a monster to be like kill this specific person. It's just like send a monster in it. I don't know. I think the yeah. I don't know. I think that's maybe it's something that the humans make. They decide to fight robots with monsters. Uh, kind of the opposite of Pacific Rim, I guess, because um, they're fighting monsters with robots. So I think that'd be fun. Uh, that's also another option that you could do. Uh, they they make a, they make monsters to fight robots, and they've made a Mike Wazowski as a test subject. So I feel that that's more of a a more palatable thing. That I feel like that's more likely that you get a human to, that they would make a Mike Wazowski that they can interact with, and he can talk to them, and then they then decide to make other monsters that are more fearsome because they don't want a monster like a Mike 
they don't want to make a a sully and then it turn bad and eat them all. But if you make a Mike Wazowski and it turns bad, you can easily get rid of it. So he's not going to be he's not going to put up a lot of a, a much of a fight. I don't think. I think put, you just poke him in his big eye. I'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think that I think I like that better actually. The the people the resistance in John Connor have decided that they're making monsters to fight the robots. Um, and they made a prototype of Mike Wazowski and then maybe they they leave Mike Wazowski for dead and then it's a bit like a Wally thing where he's left on his own just kind of wandering around. Um, or it's kind of his little adventures in the science department or whatever. I think that'd be fun. I'd like that. I'd like to see that. That'd be fun. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Mike Wazowski interacting with people, just having a having a right old good time, doing some things and not scaring people because he can't scare people. Uh, but yeah, if you have any ideas of how to get Mike Wazowski in a spin-off of the Terminator universe, I would love to hear it. Uh, you can contact me at all that walker on twitter or by email at fillmeuppod at outlook.com um you can also uh contact me if you you want to talk about anything if you want to talk about any of the films that we've talked about this week if you want to talk about any other films you've got suggestions for future alpha sets uh if you want to talk about the dark universe or frozen or whatever whatever you want i'm here for you uh i'm not going anywhere i mean i can now i can go to the pub now but uh but I'm not going to be in the pub all the time. I will. I will see them. Well, but when I've I've stopped drinking and I've sobered up, I will probably maybe see your message. Um, yeah, next week I will be covering set J, and I will post on Twitter on Monday the uh, three films that I'll be looking at for Alpha Set. Um, so you can uh, feel free to watch along uh, or not. Um, it's up to you. Um, again, if you wanted to, to find that out, then uh, just follow me at All Out Walker. Um, that's it. I think it's it's we're done. We're done for another week. Um, I will see you in the future. Um, of next week. Goodbye. <laughs>